0: The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Listeners can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Our Tier 1 supporters receive access to our written content, our upcoming 2020 preseason projections, and complete CFF player rankings. In Tier 2, supporters receive access to view our 2020 FBS team profiles, including complete projected depth charts, updated daily all year based on injuries, transfers, suspensions, and other personnel news. Visit patreon.com slash tweet us at CFBWinningEdge, Winning or email CFB at gmail.com to learn more.
1: Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Fogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Fogman Sports. I'm here with Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish. You can follow him on the Twitter, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. Nick, how's it going, man? How was your weekend?
0: Oh, you know, the weekend was pretty good, pretty laid back. Right now, apparently... Uh, we've got a bit of a biker gang rolling around, and
1: oh, in, the Sons of Anarchy! Beautiful America. downtown,
0: Concord, New Hampshire. Uh, we've got a we got a couple of motorcycles in the neighborhood, so they're, they're I guess you know it's a uh, little after six. Everybody's headed home for for whatever tonight. So uh,
2: yeah, but uh,
0: no, th- this weekend was it was good. It was it was barely laid back, uh, relaxing. I I do need to make an effort to get outside because summer. Is here, believe it or not, finally. So, looking forward to maybe uh, venturing out and and hopefully spend a little time on a lake or, or something. We've got some paddle boards. Looking forward to to using pretty soon. So, uh, looking looking forward to that. Didn't do much of that uh, or really anything of of note last weekend, but looking forward to to that here in the future.
1: Yeah, that sounds good, Xavier. How's your weekend? Sleep. That, that, that <laughs> describes Catching my Catching up on it, huh?
3: Yeah. Needed it so bad so I could stop drinking these all the time. Um, yeah. Definitely needed. it. Nick, you're doing your best Arizona impression with that shirt. I absolutely love yeah, it. Yeah, man. Oh, God. Yeah. I want to show a little personality.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell. What's on the shirt? What are those designs?
0: Uh, it's uh, cactus.
1: Oh, Okay. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, see, that's the this, part of being the oldest or... guy on this show is my <laughs> eyes are not as good as Javier's young eyes. I was like, well, what are those blobs? What are they? They're, uh, yeah, they're definitely Saguaro cactus. Yeah. Right I,
0: I was so, deciding between this one and, and the bright blue with flamingos on it. Maybe maybe Oh, no. oh
1: yeah. yeah. And next week, can definitely get the flamingo shirt in there. That's got to be a better one. I, <laughs> the flamingo shirt is one where like, you can wear the cactus shirt and have people not say anything. You can't wear the flamingo one and have people not say anything. So, um,
0: so, this one's yeah. a little more subdued. That one is yeah. bright blue and pink. And, uh, are you it. so? Are
1: you like easing us into your crazy shirt collection? Do you have like <laughs> hey, uh, it's a bunch summer. of weird shirts? It's
0: summer. It is. It is eighty four degrees. So it's it's time it. for
3: crazy like, like shirt. Scott, <laughs> <race. laughs> no. He's like, I'm not having that.
1: No, I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll. It it was actually kind of nice out when I went to go get uh my lunch. You know, today is my day where I record uh eight million podcasts. Mm. So uh <laughs> under triple digits right now, ninety nine. Hey.
4: Oh yeah. Not there you bad.
1: Go. It might be cooler than where it is for Xavier. Xavier, how's your weather been and all that stuff?
4: It's 73.
1: Oh, uh, well, we are having. What? We're moving on. We're
4: I having
1: can't <laughs> <power> ever. <laughs> I, I'm gonna get too jealous. I can't handle this. Uh on today's episode, we are going to be looking at uh questions going into the 2020 season, the big questions that we want answered. So uh I made uh seven Xavier. Was working on his last time I saw. I think he got his all up there. Uh, Nick had his done uh, about 30 minutes after the end of last show. So we are uh, ready to rock on those questions. But well, We do have some news and notes, of course. Um, but there's some new stuff coming out over at CFB Winning Edge. Please check out the Patreon, bi- uh, Patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Nick, tell us about the new stuff that we have going on. Yeah, well, I mean,
0: you know, today's episode is sort of the, the first piece of our real, you know, 2020 preview. We're sort of setting the stage for that. But that, of course, means a lot of things are in motion, uh, wrapping up a lot of different projects that have been going on at, at CFB Winning Edge. Uh, last week, uh, put the final touches on five brand new strength of schedule metrics uh, that look at, you know, each team's. Uh, the, the team's strength, our, our overall power rating, you know the, the average rating of each uh, opponent for all 130 teams and then we broke that down by offense and defense, uh, who's playing the most talented offenses, who's playing the strongest defenses, and then uh, folded in a few other, metrics, uh, as well for sort of a weighted average, uh, to give a, 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 you know, slightly different view, a few more, uh, vantage points, perhaps, uh, put that in, but, uh, released all those to our patrons last week. And then there, of course, in our, uh, FBS team profiles as well. And, you know, with that, there was also, uh, a talent edge, something new this year that I, I wanted to sort of explore. I, I wrote a column, Weekly or a post a column might not be the right word for uh, MajorWager.com, where I, I looked at three different uh, talent metrics, and and one of them was our uh, roster strength, but then also a couple from 247 Sports, the average player rating for everybody on the roster, and then the uh, team talent composite, which is a really great tool that they uh, publish at the very beginning of each season, and wanted to look and and see, you know, what are some teams that have a talent. Advantage that maybe we wouldn't expect. Maybe they're you know a uh, an underdog in, in a game, but they've got an edge and talent and all three of those ratings. So I, I took what I learned from writing that each week and and developed uh, basically a point spread for every game that sort of strips out all of our coaching information, all of our uh, past team performance uh, metrics and and things like that, and really just looks at. You know, who who has the edge, who has the most talented team on the field for each game. And I think that gives a little bit of, you know, it's useful to look in uh, when you're looking at point spreads and when you're looking at win totals, things like that. But also, I think it'll be helpful. Uh, I'm using, you know, I'm Excited to look forward uh, to use it in in CFF when I'm looking for defenses that are, you know, the most talented defense in 11 out of 12 games, things like that. So I think there are a lot of different uses. I'm I'm interested to learn about it and and see what uh, that can be used for. Finalized our special teams player ratings. Uh, Yeah. Finally able to to get those.
1: Now I know a lot Uh, of
0: kickers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and, punters. uh, Did some grunt work, which I really appreciate, and and, uh, went through uh, checking to make sure none of those pesky G5 kickers and punters were highly rated recruits.
1: A lot of transfers. Yeah, they were. uh, You know, some decent kickers transferring into those smaller schools because they can't beat out other guys. I was, uh, you know, I, I think the transfer rule might work the best for those special teamers, to be honest. Certainly
0: could, certainly could, and and then uh, finalized the production points uh, that we've talked about in the past for for other positions, but special teams haven't been part of that the last couple of years, and and so finalized that was able to put that in so we can you know see because because most kickers and punters aren't going to have high ratings or even you know any uh, recruiting mm-hmm. rating, and that's the the first piece we look at when we're building our individual player rating. So production's a, a big part of that. So I was finally able to finalize that. Special teams is now fully functional. Everything's good to go there. And, and then looking ahead, like I mentioned, conference previews are coming up. The three of us are going to be talking, you know, each week from, from here on out for the next five or six about different conferences and, and then, you know, have some more written content coming uh, later this week, taking a look at uh, the quarterback position and, and things like that. So a lot of exciting stuff uh, coming up. And, and the season really does feel like it's, you know, coming up soon.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's right upon us here. So uh, a lot of good stuff uh, at CFP Winning Edge. So if you're not subscribed already to the Patreon, please, uh, like I said before, uh, patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. All kinds of great stuff uh, for you over there, including, like I've said, it's worth the money for just this alone. Whatever tier you're at, the depth charts are the best out of anyone that makes them at CFP Winning Edge. Uh, Nick does the best job. He updates them the quickest in season as well. So you're never going to find a better depth chart. Uh, I, even when Jim Harbaugh puts it out, it's not as good as, as, uh, Nick's because, uh, he just puts or next to everyone's name on. That's his if we're
0: team. lucky enough to get it. Michigan still doesn't have a 2020 roster. Up.
1: They still don't. Yeah. And I was, uh, <laughs> That's ridiculous. I, was to, <laughs> I know I was talking to Tim about that over at Fantrax because they haven't gotten, uh, the roster's completely updated. And he said, well, what do they look like on their official website? I'm like, well, most of them have them, but some of them don't. Like Texas has theirs up and Michigan Mm -hmm. doesn't. He's like, what I have a list. I have a list. There are
0: about four Power 5 teams that still don't. Michigan is always, always one of them.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So uh, we may uh, bring up a little bit of Jim Harbaugh on the show later. But let's dive into this news here and – We did get some big news earlier today, and I actually didn't see this until I'm reading it right now, Nick. This is big news. Uh, Sacramento State (laughs) QB Kevin Thompson, who won the Big Sky Offensive Player of the Year uh, Award in 2019, is going to transfer to Washington. He is a Washington native. Uh, He began his uh, college career at UNLV in uh, 2019. He threw for 3,216 yards and ran for 619 with 39 total touchdowns. Now, uh, Jacob Sermon is our projected starter at Washington, though he was expected to battle out with Dylan Morris and freshman Ethan Garbers for the job. But now we get Thompson going to this mix, and you know I'm not going to call Thompson the front runner, but there's a reason he transferred, and there's mm-hmm. a reason uh, they brought him in this late. So uh, I I would probably say he's. Odds-on favor to win this job right now, Nick. Right?
0: It, it's certainly interesting. I, I have already added him to our depth chart, so you know, went in and, and calculated okay. his player rating, and and he comes out about three points lower than Sermon. Sermon's about an eighty-five, just based on a really high uh, two-four-seven rating coming out of mm. high school, even though he's only played in five games. Uh, but Thompson has done some really good things. Racked up some production points when he was at. Sacramento State. So he comes in at about an 82 and a half, which uh, is solid. I mean, I, I went ahead and, and basically listed both of them as the starter. I kept Sermon in that number one spot, but uh, put Thompson as as if he basically was you know 50 50 to to win that job, uh, which is probably where I would rate it right now. I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you there's a reason he picked Washington and there's a reason that Washington wanted him. And, and Thompson is somebody that just entered the portal, uh, I think after we recorded last week. So this was a fairly quick uh, move and, and, you know, you're getting somebody that started, I believe 20, 24 games, something like that uh, maybe even a, a little bit more. I mean, that's, that's somebody who you expect isn't going to make a move like this to sit on the bench. It certainly doesn't always work out. Washington State brought in a really, you know, talented and, and productive FCS quarterback last year who did not end up winning that job, Gage Cabrude. And, and so, you know, there's every opportunity that he, he doesn't uh, take this job, but it certainly he will push Sermon. He will uh, probably make it harder for the true freshman Garbers to win this job. And, and uh, I think there is is definitely a chance that he comes away with. It.
1: Xavier, what do you think about this uh, now quarterback quandary that they have at Washington?
4: Yeah, I think it's a great move for him. Uh, This is an opportunity for him to play at the P5 level for a big program. Uh, He's going home. That also is also a win for him. I think that it gives him an opportunity to show his skills at the top level. Um, I think that when you play at a school like Sacramento State, you kind of get caught in the wash. And after, I think he finally hit the heights he thinks he could hit. I think he has nowhere else to go after winning Big Sky Player of the Year. So I think going to the Pac-12 is a new challenge for him. I think it'll be a good challenge. And I think I think you're right. I don't think it's set in stone that he's the quarterback yet, but he definitely has put up the t- type of numbers that you would expect from a starting quarterback. Um, I think that he has the full opportunity of winning the spot. And like we've kind of said throughout the podcast, um, you know, a guy who's, Proven, played already, put up good numbers to bring him in when you have limited practice time, limited time to kind of get ready for a season. Sometimes it's easier to bring in the guy that's already been there, done that, uh, right. to play for your team.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's absolutely right. So uh, it's going to be, uh, like Nick said, it's going to be an interesting uh, battle to watch for sure because anyone can come away with that starting job in mm-hmm. Washington. So, uh, you know, uh, I ne- never thought they'd be missing um, – why can't I remember his name? Jacob Eason? Uh Jacob Eason? Yeah, or... Jacob Easton. <laughs> uh you guys remember because he the transferred from Georgia. Ball. So <laughs> right, right. Uh brown more right now. I've never been an Eason fan. So I never thought that they would want to go back to him, but uh he he does leave a, a pretty big size hole in that offense. Now uh Utah defensive lineman Maxis Tupai uh returned to the program. He started nine games. He's played 30 overall for the Utes, but he sat out the winter in the spring as he contemplated his playing future. So, uh, Nick, tell us a little bit about Tupai if you can.
0: Yeah, this, this was a pretty big move. It was, you know, uh, certainly it seemed like he was on the fence as to whether or not to continue playing football. He wasn't going to be part of spring practice. And uh, Utah, as we've you know talked about before, uh, has a lot of holes to fill Defensively, I mean, they're probably still going to be pretty good on the defensive line. They're they're always deep. They always uh, have reserves at, at that spot. But according to our ratings, they were outside the top 40 as far as their defensive line coming into this season. So getting... Uh, to buy you know back is is I think a, a fairly big move he's a 90 rated player based on his experience in production and he was you know relatively highly rated coming out of high school as well so uh, did not pencil him in, in in the starting rotation though I think he certainly uh, will get there eventually but uh, as a top reserve uh, you know he, he certainly adds depth if nothing else so uh, pretty pretty big I mean for for somebody who may not be a starter Uh, Utah certainly had a need, and and he's somebody that uh, they love to have back, I I know.
1: Now, uh, Xavier, Nick and I already talked about this a little bit over on the uh, In This League College Fantasy Football podcast because this is an offensive player, but Kyle Ford, the USC wide receiver, Mm. tore his ACL. He missed his true freshman season in 2019 due to an injury as well, and it looks like he's going to miss all of 2020. I mean, this is a four-star guy, uh, 98-1-2, a rating coming out of Orange Lutheran. So uh, this, you know, obviously USC loaded with five stars and four stars, Mm -hmm. but this still hurts.
4: Yeah, big time. Um, I feel really sorry for the kid to to lose two seasons, not under your own circumstance, but purely off of, you know, a, a terrible situation both times. It's just unfair. Uh, you don't wish it on anybody to have to miss their first two years of college football, to miss any years of college football, but especially back to back seasons, Um, especially now with, you know, it looking like he was going to be a guy who's going to be able to contribute this season, you know, going into your sophomore year, you know the playbook better, you know the team better. Obviously obviously him and Keaton Slovis have probably been practicing together all throughout this break. And for for this to happen is tough for him and also the university. Um, The more experience you have outside, for your quarterback that comes in is really nice. And to lose a guy like this, who you said right on the head, this guy is really good, at at least from his two, four, seven rating and a guy that you expect a lot from uh, as a USC fan and coach. So it sucks for the whole program and just, you know, prayers out to him uh, to, to get better. Um, I'm hoping that the that the NCAA allows him to take a gray shirt uh, for this year as well. So you
1: would think they would, you know, uh, at, at this point missing last year and this year, give him one gray shirt. So uh, it it makes sense that that they would. So we'll see. But we had a lot of transfers here. Nick Central Michigan, starting cornerback and kick return, Montre Braswell entered the transfer portal. He recorded a pick in 11 pass breakups as a freshman in 2019 uh, with the earlier arrest of Kieran McKinney Harper. Uh, Central Michigan may be without its sophomore. Uh, cornerback starters to open the 2020 season so not looking good for them uh, former Alabama and Wisconsin linebacker Christian Bell flipped his grad transfer uh, commitment from Illinois to South Alabama he was really not happy that Lovey shaved that beard off clearly uh, South Alabama does have a deep linebacker core but Bell is talented enough to walk in there and most likely start another Alabama transfer uh, found a P5 landing spot Shadarius Townsend who played 18 games for Alabama, spent time at wide receiver and running back, also is headed to Texas Tech. Uh, Syracuse added defensive end slash linebacker Cody Roscoe as a grad transfer from FCS's McNeese State. The Orange were hit hard by departures in the front seven, and Roscoe, a two-year start for the Cowboys, should be an immediate contributor. So uh, your thoughts on uh, these transfers?
0: Yeah, and and we're somewhat fortunate, I think, that we're not seeing... You know, big time transfers as much anymore. I mean, I think the, the quarterback that we saw might be the last, you know, potential starting quarterback that, that will transfer uh, in this cycle. And now it's just sort of guys that are depth pieces, you know, might contribute in, in some ways. I think out of this crew, uh, probably the most impactful, I mean, you know, losing a, a starter. At corner is, is not great and, and Central Michigan made a big step forward last year relied on some pretty young guys had a lot of uh, youth that you know seemed like a really bright future at that you know position in particular so for now two of those starters to uh, most likely be out for 2020 that's you know certainly not good but I think that the the Syracuse move Cody Roscoe that it's an interesting move his former head coaching niece, uh, is now the offensive coordinator at Syracuse. So there's a connection mm. there. And, and uh, that's a, a unit that, as you mentioned, was really, really uh, hit hard. So there are some holes to fill for Syracuse. They're looking to bounce back from a disappointing season. And, and he might not be a starter, but he, he certainly, uh, I think, could compete for a, a starting spot. And something that, you know, a, a team like Syracuse that's fighting to get back into, uh, you know, the conversation for bowl eligibility This this one, you know, potential uh spot could be the the you know difference between making a bowl game or, or not when you're talking about solidifying a unit, whether it's uh defensive line or linebacker wherever he, he does end up.
1: Now uh Xavier, what are your thoughts on any of these transfers? Do you have uh, big feelings on any of them?
4: Yeah, so I, I really like Shadarius Townsend going to Texas Tech as soon as uh I saw this, it made me think of him being used kind of like Kiku Kuti. Uh, who played at uh, Texas Tech for a while as well. Uh, A smaller athlete, he's around six foot, Kiku was 5'11", that they're going to probably try to use him in a similar vein, playing wide receiver and running back, just making him a Swiss Army knife at all parts of the field. Um, So I really like that move from him. Christian Bell was a weird one because obviously this is the second big transfer, uh, uh, third big transfer, and leaving two big universities in Alabama and Wisconsin to go all the way to South Alabama. Looks like it's a competition issue maybe with him at this point. Um, It looks like he's just trying to go where he can play. Uh, I,
0: don't closer to home.
4: I think he's from mm, – I think okay. he might be from there. The. So it, it, it may be that's what I first thought. Nick, you obviously alluded to him being from Alabama, so it may be a, also a home thing. Um, anytime the, that the Syracuse Orange can get any kind of defense, it's a positive for them after what we saw last season. Uh, so I'm hoping that they get better defensively from a move like this and hopefully from obviously you know a year uh, of – what we thought was going to be a regression. Maybe it's not. Um, They obviously see the issues that they have on defense and they're trying to fill those holes. So I like that move from them as I want to see Syracuse be better defensively.
1: Now, as soon as we, I felt like as soon as I hit stop on the record from last week's show, we got the Walter Camp uh, All-American, preseason (laughs) All-American team. Uh, We mentioned most of the names in the last two episodes, but one first team selection who was undrafted by All three of us was uh, App State cornerback Sean Jolly. And Mm. I went and looked up his 247 rating. And this is why you just never know. Uh, You know, a 7790 coming in and a two-star recruit at 59161. So, you know, uh, uh, undersized cornerback playing for uh, a G5 team. You don't, a two-star player, you don't expect to make a preseason all-America team, but Sean Jolly, pretty solid. What is he up to as far as uh, productivity points, and, and all, what's his rating uh, in CFP Winning Edge's system, Nick? Do you have it handy?
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he's certainly somebody who has been highly, highly productive on the field. So I did give him a, a bump in sort of the way we calculate things when a guy comes in. Uh, really underrated by two four seven sports maybe he's just you know a, a late bloomer or somebody that played at a small school drawing. in a small town <laughs> and, you know there are there are a lot of reasons why why somebody might come uh, under the radar uh, you know and, and land at a spot like Appalachian State who traditionally has, has been very good at, at uh, picking up some guys maybe you know uh, who yeah. are left behind by bigger programs and, and turning them into big time players and and Jolly is. You know, he's, I'm sure, put on a a little bit of weight, uh, but still, you know, just 5'9". But he started 13 games. He's played 25. He put up 11 production points last year. And and then based on some other uh, things that I've seen and read, added a a couple of extra of those uh, eye test points as as well. So he's a 96 uh, plus uh, player right now. Uh, because any any guy who is a considered an all conference first team all conference player, I bump their uh, two four seven rating in our formula to an eighty five, so that that gives him a little bit of a bump, and then he's been highly productive as well. So he's somebody that that certainly could have been in the conversation. I'm, I'm a little surprised he he fell, uh, you know, away from from us because he's you know he certainly has gotten some buzz. I was. Slightly surprised, I think, to, to see him as uh, a first-team All-American in, in the preseason, but he's somebody that you know we could look back and, and he puts up huge interception pass breakup numbers for one of the highest, you know, uh, one of the top defenses in the country, statistically most likely. So uh, certainly a player that I think is worthy of, of discussion.
1: Yeah, I mean, five picks for Sean Jolly last year. So yeah. Been... Uh, I mean, you, you're the cornerback, so you, you're a defensive <laughs> back, so you give us the breakdown on this guy, huh?
3: Yeah, he's he's a really weird
4: guy. And what I mean by that is he's not your prototypical college-sized cornerback anymore. The Cornerbacks aren't 5'9", five, 5'8", five, kind of height for the most part. They like him 5'11", 6'6", 6' plus, but he has really good ball skills. He caught a pick-six against um, Georgia State last year. I mean, this kid is really... Amazing with his ball skills, he doesn't get beat deep much. He has a lot of good uh, closing gap speed. It really helps him out, out a lot because he does play a lot. He, they do put him on an island. They put him by himself and say, "Do what you want to do," um, and it's it's worked out for him. Um, I think him being on an All American team just speaks to how good app State was last year and how much he was a part of that. Um, and I think that you know. Will he end up on the All-American team at the end of the year? That's yet to be seen. And it's going to have to do a little bit with App State's success as a whole. Uh, But this is definitely a kid that teams shouldn't sleep on going into the draft. He's got all the the tools. He's just not six foot. If he was six foot, one, he probably wouldn't be at App State. He'd probably be at one of the more (laughs) traditional powerhouses. But two, this kid is going to be one of those guys who goes to the combine, blows it up, and people are like, why haven't I seen him all year? And be like, well, you should be watching CFB Winning Edge podcast. That's That's right.
1: (laughs) That's right, and uh, Captain making his debut here, also. So I can't, uh, I can't get the cat out of my lap here. He's, uh, he he wants attention today, so I apologize for those of you watching us, uh, him sticking his nose in the camera there, of course. But uh, we have some scheduling news as well here, guys. So week one, the kickoff between uh, Baylor and Ole Miss in Houston, uh, with the coaching debuts of Dave Aranda at Baylor and Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss is going to be moved to Sunday. So uh, just they push that back. No NFL games yet. So they push Mm -hmm. it back a day to Sunday. Uh, That should be an interesting game. And, you know, at this point, it's in Houston right now. We'll see if it stays there because Texas is going through it right now, along with Arizona and Georgia. So uh, lots (laughs) uh, lots of COVID stuff happening right now. So we'll see if that sticks. But the Southern Heritage Classic, which was scheduled for September 12th between FCS Rivals Tennessee State and Jackson State, was canceled due to a uh, COVID-19 precaution. Not a great sign there. So um, these scheduling things, Nick. One is uh, we're just going to move this back for better television. And the Mm -hmm. other is we're going to cancel because of COVID. Obviously, it's FBS versus FCS. Mm -hmm. Uh, are Are you afraid for FCS? moving forward, because it's going to be tough enough for these schools that have a ton of money.
0: Yeah, I mean, this this certainly wasn't a, a good sign. I mean, that's that's a, a longstanding rivalry to HBCU programs, a lot of history that, uh, you know, this is, is a game that they've been playing for, you know, 20-something years and, and a, a neutral side, I believe, make it a big, uh, a big event. And, and to cancel is not a great sign. And, and so I think this year we're just going to have to get comfortable feeling somewhat uncomfortable with, you know, maybe every game's not going to be played exactly when scheduled. I'm sure, you know, FBS were the bigger television money and, and everything like that. I'm sure they're going to try everything they can to, to make those games happen. But, you know, at the FCS level, obviously, Uh, This is a cancellation. I've I've seen some things, uh, not a whole lot of details uh, that I looked into deeply. But uh, Division II, I've seen apparently some programs are cutting their schedules down to 10 games. So I think we're just going to have to expect that, as the schedule is written right now, might not be exactly how it plays out uh, over the
1: next few months. Yeah, there's going to be some weirdness, right, Xavier?
0: Yeah, and we're just going to have
4: to bite the bullet as fans um, that things aren't going to go exactly the way that we want them to. Um, and things are obviously that starts with us not being in the stands, but to, you know, games like this where it's going to be massive amounts of people. And that's kind of what they expect That kind is of what brings in the money may not happen um, yeah. now, with this happening. That makes me a little bit fearful about the Bayou uh, Classic a little bit um, between Grambling State and Southern, uh, because that's kind of the same thing. The massive people is what really brings in the money. And if they can't really have that, I don't know if they're going to be able to afford to do it at Mercedes Stadium. So uh, I don't know. I I'm I'm not too optimistic about some of our favorite classics um in the FCS level.
1: And uh this is actually some good news though the the College Football Hall of Fame has decided to add an HBCU exhibit which is a uh, historically black college and universities uh for those of you that don't know the lingo there uh to their uh many attractions obviously uh they're going to have history traditions hall of fame hall of fame players and coaches um but you know They're going to have to rebuild a bunch of stuff at at the College Football Hall of Fame because it did get uh, looted during some Mm -hmm. of the riots a couple weeks ago. So that was one of the big stories, uh, uh, you know, happening when when all that stuff was breaking out. So, um, I mean, great. This is a great addition, right, Xavier?
4: Yeah, honestly, I didn't know that they didn't have one, Uh, you know, and I've been to the College Football Hall of Fame twice and it never even dawned on me that. There's not like an HBCU specific exhibit, uh, but this is obviously something that's been needed probably since the opening of the uh, Hall of Fame. And it's, a, it's an amazing addition. Um, so, you know, I hate that the College Football Hall of Fame was it was looted and, you know, was vandalized and things of that nature. But we are getting some good out of it that they're now able to add an exhibit uh, to honor those, uh, you know, the men who played in the, for HBCU teams and who are HBCU Hall of Famers. So I like that as well.
1: Can, uh, Nick, can you name uh, the first African-American to play in the NFL? Ooh,
0: uh, Fritz Pollard.
1: Uh, Kenny Washington, out of uh, UCLA, who also played baseball, and okay. he played in the outfield with Jackie Robinson at UCLA.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting, so, interesting. Fritz uh, Pollard was the first African-American player to play in the Rose Bowl from ah, Brown okay. U- Brown University in 19... 19- 16 or something like a long crazy long time ago and he played Look at us knowing history <laughs> i i uh i have a, a weird uh thing i've always followed ivy league football for some reason so of that, course that came up uh yeah and, and you must, you must love that
1: Halo, bit so. that they do on the solid verbal then right where they uh are the oh, that's the a uh, patriot league yeah. Oh, the Patriot League. You're
4: right. You're right. Uh, I get it yeah, that's that's yeah. that good enough for Nick. Nah, no. me. <laughs> yeah, we,
1: we don't listen to those low rent people. Okay, yeah, Ivy League yeah. only here. So, but,
0: uh, uh, <laughs> but for the College Football Hall of Fame, I, I haven't been yet. I I haven't been to Atlanta outside the airport. In,
1: yeah, in me neither.
0: Several years. So, uh, hopefully, I'll be able to get back home and and do need to do need to visit and and certainly. I uh, look forward to, to seeing it in, in this exhibit when you
1: get a chance. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, let them let get it all straightened out first. Uh, a couple yeah. other news and notes that will burn here through before we get to the questions. Uh, Florida became the first state to implement a piece of name, image, and likeness bill when the governor signed it into law on Friday. Uh, the law will go into effect July 1st, 2021. It was immediately marketed as a recruiting advantage for Florida schools, which could uh you know they could use it to keep the best players from leaving there. I thought California also passed this. Nick, was how was that different? Do you know?
0: I believe this is the first one that was. Uh, there's actually a uh, the first that's going to go into effect. It's it's going oh, to go, yeah, okay, effect, okay. July first yep. of, of next year. So uh, trying to I guess get a jump maybe on California or some of the others that uh-huh. have the wheels in motion, but uh, like not, not quite ready to go yet.
2: What do you think? Like,
0: <laughs>
4: Like Florida schools need any more of a jump on anybody. I mean, you've got Florida State, Miami, Florida, you've got beautiful weather, beaches. What else you need, huh?
1: <laughs> No hurricanes. That's Fair. what I need. So I don't mean <laughs> Miami. I mean actual real hurricanes. I don't I don't want to mess with that stuff. So uh I mean I'll take hundred and fourteen all day. I don't have to batten down the hatches for that. So uh, you know, uh, California, no hurricanes either. They do have earthquakes, but, uh, and fires, obviously we got a lot of fires going on in Arizona right now. Um, but I mean, uh, so that, that, I think it gives them an advantage, but I don't know, Nick, is it quantifiable right now? Do you think?
0: It, I think it's probably too early to see or to tell, but you know, if there's a, uh, everybody recruits for it. Right. So, right. Uh, you you know, schools like Florida State, Miami, Florida uh, have lost maybe more players than they would like over the years. But I think this probably helps schools like FIU, FAU, UCF even, uh, though they've gone sort of to a national recruiting strategy, which is kind of interesting. But uh, I, I think it maybe helps some of those schools to keep guys closer to home that might instead have gone to, you know, maybe a, a not necessarily a blue blood power five program, but might go to an Indiana or an Illinois or, you know, somebody else in, in uh, the SEC, maybe one of the lower uh, tiered teams in, in that league. So I, I think it's, it's certainly, you know, it might not have a huge, huge impact, but maybe we see that, you know, mid three-star guy that was hoping to, you know, be maybe the, 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 last guy in a big time P5 recruiting class, maybe he says, okay, well, you know, I, I, grew up in South Florida, FIU's just down the road. My family can see me play every weekend. And, and, uh, you know, this name image likeness thing is also appealing. So maybe it's that little bit extra that, that could help somebody make that decision to go to a school like that instead of maybe, uh, going farther out of state or, mm-hmm. Uh, becoming somebody that might get lost in the shuffle at a bigger program.
1: I think we're two of forty-eight away from getting NCAA back, right? Yes.
0: So the
1: the small the small trickle continues here. Slowly let's uh sure. yeah, let's get that NCAA game back. That's what we all want for sure. Uh, uh, Xavier Iowa announced that it part ways with longtime uh, strength coach Chris Doyle following dozens of allegations. You know, at first it was, hey, this happened. Hey, that happened. And now it's, um, you know, a, a lot of stuff going on there. But they had a separation agreement. It ends Doyle's 21-year tenure at Iowa. He is going to be paid $1.1 million for the agreement. Uh, and he is the highest paid uh, strength coach in, in the country here. But, uh, I mean, when his son left the yeah. program, I think, uh, you know, Before we recorded last week, the writing was on the wall that he was gone, right?
4: Yeah, the the nail was just just need to be put in the coffin. You know, once your child decides to leave the university, I think you're next. Um, My biggest thing with him is, will he be hired again? And if so, where? Um, You know, I think that I don't know if he's necessarily blackballed from college football at the moment. Um, I mean, I think it might take some time for him to be hired again. But obviously, he was good at his job. So, you know, if you're good at your job, typically people like to give you second chances. So. Let's see if he ends up somewhere else in the next couple of years,
1: and if he can just show some contrition, you know, yeah, if yeah. he can learn and maybe spend the next couple of years, uh, you know, trying to do his best to right the wrongs that he've done that he's done to get back in the game that he loves. Maybe then people will find it more acceptable. But Nick, it's uh, it doesn't look good right now.
0: Mm-mm. Yeah, no, I. I I think you're absolutely right that we knew this was coming. We just didn't know all the details. And, and it's certainly unfortunate Certainly unfortunate that a lot of players uh, have had to deal with a, a situation where they didn't feel welcome in that football program. And I, I think that Kirk Ferentz, the head coach there, has certainly taken a, a long, hard look at, at the program and, and sort of his role there at the top. And so, uh, you know, I'm I'm certainly hopeful that they will make some progress in, in this area. And, and unfortunately, this just had to be – part of that and and you know Xavier you mentioned it
2: uh,
0: he's he's good at his job he's one that was always in the conversation when we're talking about guys that are responsible for taking diamonds in the rough and developing them into mm-hmm. NFL draft picks so you know maybe you know he, he'll get another opportunity but Scott I think you're absolutely right he's, he's got to show some growth uh, probably to to get that uh role so let's let's hope that uh that he can do that. And, and, uh, you know, for, for regardless, you know, this right. seemed to be the, the move that was necessary.
1: And, you know, uh, working with Ferentz for, for so long too, you know, it, it, cast a bad light on Kirk Ferentz, but he held a press conference. Uh, I watched some of it. It was kind of difficult to hear and it was a windy day. So I'm like, I'll just read about this. You know, <laughs> I, I, I watched part of it. But uh, uh, it was, you know, uh, good for him for getting in front of this. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, he didn't. I, I guess he just didn't know it was to this extent or whatever uh, beforehand. But uh, he's still going at Iowa. So hopefully uh, he'll be able to, to stay there. But uh, Mike Gundy uh, came under a lot of fire. Apparently, he he, he was wearing... I didn't even know what OAN was, by
0: the way. That's sort of the most disappointing thing about all this, is now a lot more people do know what OAN
1: is. Yeah, yeah. So Mike Gundy wore uh, an OAN shirt in a picture from some fishing trip, and um, Chuba Hubbard called him out on Twitter and said, I will not be playing until something is done about this. And apparently OAN is just an incredibly uh, hard, hard right-wing nut job network i don't know this Mm -hmm. is how it's been described to me i didn't even know it was a thing
3: uh and and
1: for me when i i heard people complaining about i'm like isn't that what you want to wear when you're fishing because you might get fish guts all over you your crappiest shirt (laughs) like I, i was gonna say maybe that was what he was gonna say obviously not um but you know mike gundy a guy that doesn't have a lot of time for the news so i guess he just didn't understand what he was wearing or at least that's what he said there's a yeah. quote that you have here nick i'm gonna let you uh read that because i, I think it's important so uh you, tell tell us about your quote in, in your take on what happened with uh gundy and chuba over the weekend here
0: well, yeah. So it was it was sort of a a really weird situation, and and what twenty four thirty six hours, everything kind of moved really quickly. Hubbard uh, made the the statement on Twitter, and then a few hours later, there was kind of an awkward video uh, that that uh, he and Gundy were there, and Hubbard actually apologized, which was weird because Gundy didn't, and and uh, so you know it's it's it, it felt weird, and and it felt also you know a lot of former players, especially and a couple of current players, uh, jumped on board and said, like, hey, yeah, the culture in uh, Oklahoma State needs to be changed. And and so it felt to me in the early hours kind of similar to the way it felt in, in Iowa when we kind of did hear sort of this rumble start to build. And, and I think it, you know, the, the video with he and Hubbard wasn't perfect, but I think it helped a little bit. But then Gundy did. Uh, release a video uh, a few hours after, or the next day after that, I lose track, but uh, where he did actually apologize, which I think was, you know, due and, and necessary for, as he said, the, the you know, hurt and uh, discomfort that he caused uh, by wearing that shirt. But, but the quote was, uh, I believe this is a columnist in, for the Oklahoman in, in Oklahoma, uh, her name is Jenny Carlson. She tweeted this out, said, uh, "You know, Mike Gundy can wear whatever he wants," and that was the sort of the conversation around this. It's like, hey, this is you know, is a TV network he likes, so so what? He can wear whatever he wants. And a bunch of people were like, "Oh, what if you wear a CNN shirt?" But the the other part of it that she followed up with was, you know, but whatever he wears may have consequences. And I think that's the most important Mm -hmm. part where, you know, players, you know, maybe, I mean, Gundy's had some quotes about OAN before, so I think he knew a little bit more than he was uh, maybe sort of, yeah, exactly. But uh, (laughs) this was a situation where obviously it made players uncomfortable. I mean, there's uh, a movement right now in – Uh, The world we're living in, which I think is a good thing where these players are speaking up and, and, you know, uh, holding people accountable for their actions, including their head football coaches. And and this was something that Gundy absolutely had to address and and his uh, his choice to wear a particular shirt, which, of course, is his. Right. He can do whatever he wants. But if players don't like that and, and decide, hey, I'm not going to work out or maybe, you know, maybe I can hypothetically use this as a grievance to get into the NFL mm-hmm. supplemental draft after I decided to come back to school and was maybe going to be a first round pick anyway. You know, <laughs> that that was my uh, initial thought. That, so. That's the uh, first <laughs> thing I
1: looked up. Yeah. Too, man, was, uh, uh, it was weird because I saw a CBS article and they did a great job explaining supplemental draft but i still don't know if chuba would have been able to go in because it said guys that return to college and specifically mentioned chuba hubbard uh wouldn't be eligible for the supplemental draft but in the next paragraph it said each case each player is a case-by-case basis Mm -hmm. according to the nfl so i just don't know if extenuating circumstances would have allowed him to go into the supplemental draft They, they seem to have got it sorted Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, Xavier, I I think, I think the, the best thing to come out of this is you may, may not change Mike Gundy's opinion on, uh, stuff overall, but I think you can at least nudge him into the right direction, right? Like he may think that this is ridiculous. It's just a t-shirt. I don't even watch the news that much anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, in his, in his heart, you know, he said the Mm -hmm. right things, uh, but at least we're getting things called out and we're getting people nudged the right way. Xavier, I, I don't know. What, what is your take on this situation?
4: Well, well, just because I go, just before I go into it, the other thing I always think of is that there might be a mass exodus from Oklahoma state. And that they use Mike Gundy's, uh, the whole OAN situation to gain eligibility for next season, we get fired
1: um, yeah. before that happened, by the way, well, yeah, like, yeah. I, I'll just, you know, <laughs> ju- just to play devil's advocate there. Mm. If they're going to have, you know, Amen. Mamiga talked about it, uh, and Chuba Hubbard talked about it. Tylen Wallace and other stars of that team were about to go. He would have got the boot, and they would have brought someone else in. Because, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, the product's on the field, right? It's not think, on the sideline. As good as and Mike, I think Gundyans, that was, you know.
4: No, I was gonna say, yeah, I think that that's what we gained from this the most. A little bit is I think that Nick kind of played to put it in the spreadsheet that players showed their power and their ability to make change. And I think that we'll see a lot more players speak out about this and so that the coaches aren't untouchable anymore. This isn't the the 80s and the 70s and 90s where coaches could get away with things and it was about the coach because people felt like the coach made the team. I feel like we're seeing kind of what we've seen a little bit in the NBA where it's the players make the sport and they're much more outspoken about it. I think we're going to see a, a trend starting and it's not just going to be Chuba that we're going to see do this in the next, you know, 10, 15 years where college – players especially as they are able to start making money on their own likeness decide that if i don't like the situation i'm gonna say something about it um i'm gonna be outspoken about it and and then the ad now it's on you to make the correct decision because i can leave when i want to so yeah
1: yeah yeah it's uh it's a strange situation but you're absolutely right and i thought the funny thing about the basketball stuff was you know uh stars are so big but now there's a little bit of talk of you know the players not liking the bubble and uh, potentially not also liking the fact that, uh, you know, they're playing while the black lives matter movement Mm -hmm. is uh, being spearheaded right now. So, you know, guys like Kyrie Irvin have spoken out, but I did like Patrick Beverly's like, this is down to one guy. If LeBron LeBron plays, we play, (laughs) you know, and I was like, (laughs) you know, I mean, it, it shouldn't come down to one superstar, but I mean, really Patrick Beverly's right. And they're not on the same team and never been teammates. So, Uh, may actually, maybe they have, they might have in Miami for, for a minute, but, Mm. um, the, uh, I thought that was uh, a weird statement that Beverly made, but I also went, (laughs) well, if that's the way he feels, probably a lot of players feel that way too. So, uh, kind of strange, but yeah, get power back on the player side for sure. And, uh, you know, this is step one, step two is getting them paid. I I think so. Um, now there was, there's been COVID outbreaks, For every team, but Nick, it seems like Kansas State uh, is—they're almost—they're doing the chicken pox bit that our parents used to do. I I don't know. I got chicken pox because my mom said go play with the kid that has chicken pox. I—that's literally how I got it. So uh, because she's like, my dad uh, got it as an adult, and he has he had shingles and stuff like that. So it was it was hell on him. For me, it wasn't fun. But I don't remember it too much now. You know, it's kind of gone in a distant memory. So, uh, but it seems almost like Kansas State is doing that. uh, They've had a ton of players test positive already, right?
0: Well, so the the thing I saw, they had one round of testing when guys first came on campus, came back, and and I think you know up to eighty or something players got tested, and there were zero positive cases. But then another group showed up a a little bit later, and there were two players that did test positive. And uh, that was after apparently one of those players had worked out in the team facility where, you know, everybody was, was coming in and out of. So, uh, you know, this, I'm sure it happens other places. And, and uh, of course, you know, there've been dozens of players. Uh, We don't necessarily know all their names, but we've heard here and there, you know, Oh, two players here, four players here, five players here. So the numbers are adding up and and everybody, it, it seems is, Uh, you know, following university procedures and and quarantine and and things like that to get things under control. But this one caught my eye for the fact that, you know, it was reported that a player uh, worked out and then tested and then tested positive. And so who knows how many people could have been exposed. And and so hopefully everybody stays safe and, and hopefully we can get this all under control because this is something that, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I'm looking forward to our previews so we can maybe stop talking about, uh, you know, COVID type yeah. stuff. But well, it's uh, going to come up. Every it's going to come yeah. up. You know, the, this year, eleven thousand
1: players, like you said, you know, and that's just an FBS. Right. So uh, it players are going to test positive, and they have it pretty much every university uh, so far. I mean. Xavier, I kind of feel like I just threw my mom under the bus there by saying that's how I got <laughs> the chicken pox. I don't know if anybody else got it that way or knows anyone I else don't remember
0: how I got it. It could have been. I wouldn't put it past my mom necessarily. you got to ask so. mom.
1: Yeah, i got to catch up <laughs> with her and see if that's the way she did it. But, uh, uh, I mean, we're we're just going to keep seeing these COVID cases. <laughs> I mean, uh, Xavier, how are you kind of uh, – how are you looking at those?
4: Yeah, yeah. Um... I think we have to look at other leagues. We just have to kind of see what other leagues are doing. You know, the, the premier league started back up this week and they've had, you know, they've continued to do testing. And when it becomes positive, they quarantine those couple of people and then they come back and they're they're not all practicing at the same time. They make sure that they have individual, they're making it to where if somebody becomes positive, they can isolate that person or those people. I think that we'll kind of see something similar uh, in in the college football and professional level is we'll see, then isolate the people who become positive um, or who test positive, and then we'll integrate them slowly back into where everybody else is. And like you said, we're going to see these more and more and more as schools open up, you know, and as, you know, states open up, you know, you and I being in Georgia and Arizona have already seen what this means for uh, for the, the mass population. And so I think that we have to just be accustomed to it happening. We don't need to make that mean that you know, we turn a blind eye to it, or we become numb to the fact that it's just going to happen. And we just kind of are like, oh, whatever. We still need to take this seriously, but we also need to understand that it's going to happen, and maybe not panic as much either.
1: So, yeah, I mean, yeah. go in with concern, but no panic. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that's, uh, you know, that's a great way to enter any situation. <laughs> so hopefully, <laughs> we can get there uh, with this uh, moving forward, but. It's time to answer some questions here, fellas. And, uh, you know, Nick set this up. I said, you know, we were going back and forth on on the idea for the show. Uh, I said maybe about 20 questions to lead us into the 2020 season. We each did seven, so there's 21 here. But, Nick, I'll, I'll let you kind of uh, kick it off and, uh, you know, just point out your questions of what you want to see going into the 2020 season.
0: Yeah. And so th- I don't think, sort of the way I came up with my questions, it's not necessarily you know, these are the most 20 most important things about the 2020 season or, or anything like that. But these are things that are on my mind. That's sort of how I came up with, with my selection. And uh, one piece that is sort of an annual tradition, it just came out last week, but Elliot, who's now at 247 Sports, formerly SB Nation, published his uh, Blue Chip Ratio, which is uh, just a very simple look at what teams are recruiting blue chip players, four stars and five stars, at a higher rate than everybody else. And so if you are a blue chip ratio team, you've got 50% or more of your current roster is, uh, either a four star or a five star player. So, uh, that's always an interesting piece because the way that, that he's presented that in the past is these basically are the teams that have the roster that could win a national championship. Mm -hmm. And so, Pretty much everybody else, you know, history has shown in the recruiting internet area or era, excuse me, that, you know, if you don't meet that 50% threshold, you know, the chances may not be zero, but they are very, very low. And nobody has, has uh, gone through just yet. So I wondered what team outside of that elite 50% in the blue chip ratio has the best chance of winning a national championship because eventually it will happen most Mm -hmm. likely. And if it's going to happen 2020, when everything crazy is going on, <laughs> uh, you know maybe this yeah. maybe this is the year. And and so a couple of teams that that jumped to mind for me, and and the first one I think is Oregon. They are making some very you know positive momentum in recruiting. They're going to get probably to that fifty percent mark in the next couple of years. But in the Pac twelve, you know there there are certainly some talented teams, some some quality teams, but. The path maybe is, is a little lighter. Uh, they do play Ohio State this year, so that makes the margin of error uh, not, you know, pretty thin, exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think Oregon might have the best shot, but two teams to keep an eye on. Miami uh, is one that, that will come up in a couple of these questions for me. They're looking pretty good in our numbers uh, at this point. And then Oklahoma State, assuming everything off the field, uh, gets itself sorted, they've got an opportunity maybe to, to put together a special year. A lot of players came back uh, for an extra year that could have gone to the NFL. So they're a team that could potentially compete in the Big 12. There's certainly an opportunity. Oklahoma seems uh, beatable. And so uh, they certainly are, are in that conversation. But if I had to pick one, I think Oregon's got the best shot.
1: Did you say how many teams are in that 50% blue, ratio, blue uh, ratio? I
0: don't have it right in front of me. It's It's like Ten or fifteen, somewhere okay. between ten and fifteen. It's it's. Uh, has anyone not
1: in yeah. that ratio made the playoff yet?
0: Uh no. made the playoff, yes, because Oregon oh. made it. Oh, uh, right. That that one, and then Michigan State made it. Okay. Um, yeah. but you know, both the uh, I mean, Oregon, I guess, made it to the national championship game, but Michigan State got blown out. So, yeah. but nobody has has won the national t- title just yet. Uh, but it's if 15, it's ever going to happen, fifteen. Uh-huh. Okay, it's
1: fifteen. Yeah. Fifteen. Okay. Uh. Yeah. That's that's a very interesting question. Intricate. I like it. Uh. What's your What's your second here?
0: Oh, I thought we would rotate.
1: Oh, you want to? Oh, you want to rotate? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think. Yeah. So. All right. No, that's perfect, Xavier. Uh, you're up then.
0: Yeah. So
4: my first question is, you know, yeah. I, I looking at college football, and I think Nick hit it right the head. Twenty twenty is going to be a weird year. Um. So I said, what team? Um. Uh, that did not finish with double digit wins last year will finish with double digit wins this year. Um, first team to come to mind was obviously Oklahoma state. Me and Nick kind of have a similar kind of question almost. Um, you know, I, I think, um, he hit it on the head. I think Oklahoma state really has a nice chance to do it. Arizona state's another team for me. Obviously I love Jaden Daniels. I've said that multiple times on this podcast. I think he, he has an opportunity to do it. Um, I think there's teams like, uh, UNC and North Carolina. I think they have a really good shot of winning 10 games. Obviously we all talk about how the ACC is, not you know, is, one of the probably have the most parity of any conference in college football at the moment. Um, and it's not very top heavy. I think they have a really, really, I think they probably have the best shot of anybody due to the fact that they're playing in a weaker conference and they have the most talent outside of Clemson and probably Florida State. We have yet to see what Florida State does with that talent um, on the field. Um, so I really like those teams. I like to give it to you guys. Maybe, you know, who do you guys think is going to finish with double digits this year that didn't do it last year? Texas. <laughs> yeah.
0: Texas yeah. Texas I, I, is on my list. Yeah, Texas is on my list. On list. I yeah. I think Miami, uh they'll come up a, a few times in this. They've got a talent edge in eleven games this year and, and uh have some pretty high expectations for them. Uh a couple others that could certainly get there. Michigan, I think, is mm-hmm. projected to win nine games according to our numbers, and, and I think they've got a talent edge in ten, so they could they could certainly get there, especially if we're counting a bowl game. Uh, Louisville, I mean, the ACC, I think, you you certainly oh, hit one. that hit mm, that on no, the head that there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of room for movement. Louisville, yeah. if they can play a little bit of defense, I think could get there. <laughs> uh, Virginia Tech is is got a really nice mm-hmm. schedule, very experienced team uh and and then i I tried to dig a little bit deeper uab i think has a really good shot uab probably should win 10 games this year Uh, just sort of looking at at their schedule it's one of the weakest and they've got a a pretty experienced group so i i would expect that that they get to 10 wins
4: yeah and i kind of left off one more team and they kind of are going to decide it for one another. I think A&M or Auburn has a really good chance of doing it. Um, I think more A&M than Auburn, but I think when you look at A&M's schedule, they are probably ecstatic. I know, Scott, I know you hate (laughs) 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 A&M. But I I think they're ecstatic that they don't have to play Clemson or Georgia this year, uh, and they only have to play LSU and Alabama. And I think that game against Auburn is going to decide on whether or not they finish with nine or ten wins this year. I think Helen Mond makes that next step. But yeah. yeah,
1: that's a good point. Kellen Mond is really, you know, uh, he is the deciding factor there. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I always say that just if you're in football, a quarterback is the most important position on the field, of course. So Kellen Mond, uh, if he can take a next step up, he's already very good. If he can take a next step up into elite that could easily lead the Aggies to. I mean, the Aggies could be in the playoff and I wouldn't be. Super surprised. They're all, they always. I'm
4: shocked hearing that come from you. you know,
1: yeah. Well, look, man. You know, we're all we're, we're all changing for the better, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to join in with everybody else and uh, get rid of my my hatred and, and all that stuff as well. So, uh, I'm just trying to be a better person. That's all. Uh, my my question here is: if these guys are laughing so hard because they don't believe me at all. Um, but, uh, my first question here, and I think this just needs to be asked until, uh, it, it, it happens. Is there a G five team that can make the playoff or, you know, contend for a national title? I think UCF is still the closest team and I still don't think they're very close. So, uh, I don't think there is this year, Nick, do you have any, you know, yeah, have any thoughts on a G5 team potentially entering the playoff?
0: I mean, UCF's the one, probably. I mean, this will come up a, a, another question later, but I'm absolutely frightened that UCF is ranked 16th in our team strength rating. So that means we would only favor on a neutral field 15 other teams against UCF. Uh, that makes me incredibly, incredibly nervous. They are uh, favored in every game according to our numbers, including – almost two touchdowns against North Carolina who we were just talking about is in that conversation to get 10 wins. Uh, They play North Carolina, they play Georgia tech. So they've got a couple of power five opponents. You would expect uh, that they will be favored in both of those probably should win both of those. They do play Memphis in the regular season, which will help a little bit. They also play Cincinnati. So if both of those teams uh, are, you know, double digit win teams, UCF's strength. The schedule looks maybe a little bit better than it has in, in years past. And if we get into a crazy situation because 2020 is going to be a crazy year, if UCF goes through 12 0 regular season, beats Memphis twice in the or Cincinnati since there's a different setup in the uh, championship game, uh, beats one of those teams twice, and maybe everybody else Power Five uh, has two losses, maybe they get in because UCF is legitimately very good they are yeah. they are talented mm-hmm. they are experienced the defense is much better than people I think realized last year uh Dylan Gabriel I, I love that it, it quarterback and and you know uh, they've got depth uh, they are Milton might solid, play solid too.
1: like it's certainly possible yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah so, it, so that's
1: uh, a possibility
0: I think uh, they're the one Memphis could sneak in but UCF is is pretty heavy in our numbers to be the, the most likely uh, yeah. Xavier,
1: I mean, I don't think a G5 team can make it this year, but it would have been awesome those Boise State years. Remember when they beat Oklahoma and, and all that? I mean, you were probably six when that was happening. But uh, I watched know. the Statue of Liberty. I yeah. saw all the
3: play. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, those would have been a lot of fun. We want to get back there, but, you know, the playoff has come in at a time where none of the G5 teams are as strong as that Boise State team was.
4: Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people are, are also scared where you have your Boise State. You also had Hawaii when they played Georgia and they got romper roomed in the Sugar Bowl. I was I think there. People. Oh, yeah. Of course you were. Who did of, you room
0: for? Yeah. Georgia. Georgia I was still in, I
4: was <laughs> still uh, in okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, But I think that that's the fear here. And I think people are afraid of a not battle-tested G5 team, which is why I think UCF is the only team that could probably make it in. Um, When you look at a lot of the powerhouses in G5, they don't really have that many big P5s on their schedule this year. App State only plays Wisconsin and Wake Forest, but Wake Forest obviously doesn't have Jamie Newman this year, so they're not expected to be as good as they were last year. Memphis, although they play UCF, they also only play Purdue. So you're looking at that, and you're like, okay, they're not the same battle-tested team as maybe App State was last year when they beat North Carolina and South Carolina on their route to you know an eleven and one year. It's one of those situations where I think that's where the biggest issue is: is do they have the schedule to make te- people impressed enough? And UCF has that schedule. If they run the table and beat Memphis and, and beat the other teams that, that Scott, uh, I'm sorry, that Nick said, I think absolutely they have a really good chance. You know, if a team like if a team in the SEC were to go ten and two and has the opportunity to maybe sneak in there as a 12-0 team after beating some better and bigger names in college football.
1: Yeah, they just got to schedule up. I mean, that's the only way it's going to happen, right, is Mm -hmm. uh, you got to schedule up, you got to play some good teams and beat them, and probably on the road too, you know, or at least at a neutral site. You got to beat those big schools uh, to make it in. I mean, we even see teams like, you know, Oregon having to do that. You know, that's why they're playing Auburn. (laughs) Uh, Texas (laughs) is playing LSU. You know, it's because uh, even if you run the table and that's what I talked about with Oklahoma last year uh, at this point in the season, what was looking at the schedule? I was like, is Oklahoma like even if they went out, if Texas isn't good, that's the only really good team they play on the schedule. Mm -hmm. Are they good enough to make it? And, you know, um, they got lucky. Yeah, they got they really did. Georgia lost to South Carolina. Right. Right. Exactly. So Baylor uh, was
0: just good enough.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. So Baylor was just good good enough to uh, boost them up. But uh, we're back up to boss man. Nick, what's your second question?
0: So I've been dealing a lot of my my time the last week or so has been in these talent edges and and I'm building our uh, overall preview and projection and prediction. Uh, database right now, which will be released to our, our patrons before long. But putting the talent edges is, is part of that process. And so I was looking through and, you know, are there some teams that really stick out? I mean, maybe these are not teams that we expect to, you know, jump up and, and win double digit games or or maybe even, you know, have a, a unexpectedly two, three win season. But it's, it's interesting to look at when we strip out things like home field advantage, which you know, something's going to come up in conversation here in a little bit as well. Uh, when we strip out coaching, because there are certainly some teams that have not performed up to their capabilities in, in recent years. Uh, but there are some teams that coaching seems to, you know, get them up uh, to another level. So when we strip all that out and, and you know, take uh, two teams, one on each side, which one is the most talented? The most talented team. Usually wins, not always, but I kind of wanted to look at that and just sort of add another piece of information to the pie. And and, uh, there are some interesting results. I mean, Texas has a talent edge in all 12 regular season games by Mm. the tiniest, tiniest of margins Mm. over LSU and a, (laughs) a, a slightly bigger margin over uh oklahoma but but still small but you know texas is one of those teams that every year people are saying oh why are you hyping up texas so much they always are disappointed they just recruit so, well they don't that, even have that a good
1: coach or have been good the past five years the university of texas sells itself you mm-hmm. know austin's a great place to live uh it's a big time program you're on television every single week uh you know that's that's the advantage that Texas has. USC has that, you know, uh, Florida, every, pretty much every <laughs> P five, Florida school has that, like we mentioned before. So you're absolutely right about that, Nick.
0: But yeah, Texas is, there are only four that have a talent edge in all 12 games. And, and the other three probably aren't going to surprise anybody, Alabama, Clemson and Ohio state, but Texas right. is in that mix. That's interesting. So that if you're sounds looking like at, the
1: playoff right there to me. <laughs> if
0: you're looking at, you know, a, a dark horse, playoff team, maybe even national championship futures. Again, 2020 is a weird year. Anything could happen. Texas could win the national championship. Stop, Nick, stop. (laughs) So, you know, I'm Mm. not saying they will. I'm not saying we project them to win all 12 games, but they do have the quote unquote, according to our numbers, the most talented team in, in all 12 regular season games. But there are some other very interesting teams that are, that are, you know, in that Close, close. SMU has a talent edge in eleven games. We talked all about their, uh, you know, going into the transfer portal. That certainly plays a role. Toledo has a talent edge in eleven games. Wow. That one surprised me. Uh, they felt, you know, the wheels completely came off for Toledo at is the end of last year. Is that schedule
1: really easy, or is that the easy?
0: schedule? The schedule is Didn't easy. They get a couple of they transfers. Recruit, too? Well, they they a, a few, but not any like major. Uh, okay. Impact guys uh, they didn't know, get a big or juco guy
1: or, or anybody like that. No, nope,
0: but just sort of the, the experience. They had some injuries last year that, that factored into their, their decline. But you know, that's one that, that pops up when you're looking at a win total, you're looking week to week and, and you know, uh, where's maybe some value that's hidden, not reflected in a point spread, not reflected in a, in a win total, something like that. Again, not saying it's going to work for Toledo. Maybe Jason candle, just, you know, things aren't, aren't, working under under him maybe but they have the most talented team according to our numbers in 11 out of 12 games illinois has a talent edge in 10 games we only expect (laughs) illinois to win about five and a half games and part of that's lovey smith's head coach rating just is not that good the got to grow that beard back before
1: they start winning games
0: (laughs) ratings aren't that good yeah uh but you know that's a illinois hey should should they make a bowl game? Probably. They're going to have the most talented team on the field in, in 10 games. And and so, you know, that's just sort of the list. We've got all 130 overall talent edges. We also have offenses and, and defenses. Who's got, uh, you know, an edge on both sides of the ball or either side of the ball, I should say. And, and then just sort of on the flip side, a couple of names that pop out. UTEP and Eastern Michigan, zero talent edges. UTEP okay. plays an FCS team, <laughs> so they, they uh, don't have a talent edge against the, an FCS team. Eastern Michigan only plays FBS, I, I believe. They don't have any talent edges. Uh, Akron has one FCS opponent. Utah State, kind of an interesting team. A bowl team last year. First-round quarterback last year has one talent edge. So it, I'm not saying this is gospel. I'm not. Yeah, of you know, course. Yeah. It, it's, it's something I'm hoping – uh, we'll be able to learn from, we'll be able to improve. I, I certainly don't think it's perfect, but as a, as a first run through some somewhat interesting results and, and something I'm you know, some of those teams I'm going to be taking a, a closer look at uh, based on this work.
1: Yeah. I love, I I love your question here, Xavier. Oh, I um, want to say one thing about yeah, me.
4: <laughs> One thing, because I was, as he was saying that, I was looking for a team that I could just, Rants about for like a quick 30 seconds. Tennessee ooh, has a ta- has a talent edge over 10 teams next year. And I guarantee you, they won't have 10 wins. If Not i Not saying they
0: will. I, we project them to win no, 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 half, But if I was
4: a Tennessee <laughs> fan, to see that would tick me off. Because sure it's everything we've always said about Tennessee. They recruit well, they bring in good players. It doesn't show up on Saturdays. And the talent edge that they have over most of the teams is a large margin. They even have a talent edge over Oklahoma, and I would guarantee you, if I pick fifty people to choose who would win that ball game, it would probably be Oklahoma. So I, I just think that I just thought that you know when you were bringing up names, I think Tennessee is definitely one we have to look at because mm-hmm. the talent edge is there. They have the people in place. They just have to play
1: football. What is like happening team in this podcast? Play now? football. Uh, I am complimenting AM. Xavier is complimenting Tennessee. Uh, we are completely <laughs> off the rails here, clearly. Uh, but uh Xavier, your your second question here.
4: Yeah. Um, which transfer player will have the biggest impact on their team in 2020? And for me, I, I love obviously, you know, we Jamie Newman, Derrick King, these are guys that first come to. You know, other people that first come to thought when you think about people there. But I think a player uh, like Mr. Rocher is going to have a huge impact. Um, and I think that we ha- is you know, for you guys, I definitely wanted to, you know, kind of pick your brains about that, that maybe weren't quarterbacks, because um, obviously we know that quarterbacks are going to have a huge impact for better or for worse. But maybe some guys who weren't quarterbacks, who I think who you guys think are going to be big impact players for their universities.
1: One guy that uh, Nick and I know just stepped in because. Uh, Spielman transfer Omar Manning being a Juco transfer uh, could have a huge huge role but I'll let Nick take the lead on transfers he knows better than me
0: well I I think you mentioned the, the ones that were top of my list for sure Jamie Newman's going to be in the in the mix a lot I'm obviously got a lot of stock in the King this year based on on our numbers so I, I certainly hope that he plays up to that uh, potential sort of what we saw at Houston, especially in 2018. I think you're absolutely right. Quincy Rocher was the name that I wrote down as a as a non-quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, one that has come up in in recent conversations that uh, I think could make a big impact at, at the group of five level is uh, Rico Busey or, or mm-hmm. Busey, mm-hmm. Uh, former North Texas All Conference USA uh, type player who transferred to Hawaii, and in my opinion. Uh, immediately becomes the best wide receiver on that team and and an offense that we have relatively, you know, high expectations for. So I think that's maybe a name that flies under the radar for a lot of folks that that could have a big impact really helps uh, a unit of need for uh, a Mm -hmm. team that is hoping to, you know, defend its division title there uh, in the mountain West and get off to a good start under a new head coach. But I think you're absolutely right. The two guys at Miami are ones that I'm going to be paying the closest attention to. Mm-hmm. K.J. Costello at Mississippi State, so that I mean, really comes up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, But but I think the Miami guys, they need uh, King and, and Roche to to do it the but, running. at the P5 level, what we've seen at the G5 level uh, yeah. for, for Miami. Continue. For me,
1: with Derek, Derek King, it's like the uh, – what do they say? The unstoppable uh, – well, I, how am I screwing this up? The immovable object immovable objects, uh, is uh, unstoppable force, 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 right. It's De'Ara King so, can't be bad, but Miami quarterbacks can't be good. So w- how is it going to work? You know, like that. that's that's the weird thing to me. So I'm going <laughs> to side on the edge of talent. I think yeah. De'Ara King is going to make it work at Miami. And, you know, Miami, another one of those schools like Texas, you know, filled with five and four stars because it sells itself. And all they need is a little spark to get them there. So and a lot of tackling. And and yeah, like Texas, just a Jim, little bit. And I mean, a lot that, would, of that would be an improvement. Uh, right? Just some tackling. <laughs> you know, a little bit of tackling would be great. You guys are right. Um, one of my big questions going into to this season, and we'll talk about it, and we have talked about it before, but I think the two biggest I wanted to say who are the coaches on the hot seat, but any coach could be on the hot seat, especially in the climate that we have right now. You know, uh, you sent a, a, a idiot text three years ago <laughs> and players are calling you out on it now. You know, anyone can be in the hot seat. But specifically, I think because of the product on the field, Jim Harbaugh, while Michigan has been good, they have not beaten Ohio State in six chances with him at, at Michigan right now. So if they lose another time to Ohio State, and that is the big thing that keeps them out of the tournament, Again, can he survive that? And Scott Frost—I mean, people are ready to to burn it down at, at uh, Nebraska, and he got a long leash because he won the Heisman there. But and he he'll, he'll probably always be a fan favorite. But if you are not, if you are not helping the program win more games right now, you're viewed as a hindrance. So um, Xavier, I'll start with you on this one. Do you think that Harbaugh or Frost are? Uh, do you think either one of them is not employed at their current school after the 2020 season?
4: If hardball goes nine and three again, I really think you you start to hear rumblings of a change, uh, especially if he gets killed by Ohio State like he has the last couple years where they haven't even shown up to the game it's not good for the university. They're going to, that gap between them and Ohio state is already growing. And it's just going to continue to grow into the next generation. If they don't find a way to get past their rivals, uh, Scott Frost, he just needs to win eight games. <laughs> I, I don't even think the, what he, what he has to do is, is crazy. Is amounts. Low, I don't think he has right. to go. Yeah. Like, can you get to a bowl game and like, you know, not have Adrian Martinez on his face every other play. Like, you know, some of the easy stuff. I'll throw in one more name. I think Chip Kelly, if he does not win more than three games this year, he's out. I think UCLA does not go another year being one of the teams in the bottom of a Pac-12. That's not great as it is.
1: Yeah, that that's a great name to add to that. Nick, what's your opinion on these coaches and any other coaches that you think might be on the hot seat uh, because of talent on the field this year?
0: So it's, it's uh, not really going to be a, a sexy take, but I think that both of these guys, and, and unless they do something incredibly stupid not related to football, I, I think it's a pretty low likelihood that they uh, lose their jobs this year. And, and part of that, I think, is economics. I think all the mm-hmm. uncertainty behind revenues and, and things of They're that nature. both paid nature. a lot, though. They both paid a lot, and they both—I uh, don't know their—you know—the contract details. But I, I would expect my hunch is we see a far fewer number of, of uh, coaches getting, you know, bought out of, of big contracts, things like that. I mean, could Jim Harbaugh decide that that he doesn't, you know, want to, you know, w- that he would like to step away and, and do something else, go back to the NFL or, or whatever? I think that's probably more likely than than him actually getting fired. Uh, unless they just completely implode, if if they do a you know a George O'Leary at UCF a few years ago or June Jones at SMU at the end, where they just out of nowhere start O in the season,
2: And, and yeah.
0: you know, unless something crazy like that happens, I don't necessarily see it. Uh, and and Frost, I think, has maybe even a little more uh, leash than than Harbaugh, but I I I know that there's a vocal group of of uh, fans, and and there's certainly a lot of people outside of both programs that are, uh, shining the light on, on these two jobs in particular. But my, my instinct tells me that both these guys are probably 95% if they want to be back in 2021, they will.
3: Well, yeah,
1: I, go ahead. Xavier.
4: Cause I did look up the contracts while you were talking Harbaugh's contract actually ends and ends next year. Um, and so, the incentive to fire him might be there. Um, obviously, they just play him the rest of his sure. deal and he's gone. Uh, Frost, you're right. He's contracted. They actually gave him an extension in 2019. How? Uh, <laughs> until 2026. So, yeah, with him, he might be a little bit more safe because, what's that, five more years of having – get up to have to pay all of that out. But if Auburn was thinking about paying Gus $32 million to get out of his deal, I don't know. You know, it's all about maybe how poor they play next year. So
1: they gave him that extension right after they had a game canceled due to lightning. You know, <laughs> they're like, Hey, you didn't lose. Here's an extension. There you go. I think that's what it was. Fabulous. But uh, Nick, we're back up to you for your question here.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, sort of following that, I think that unfortunately COVID-19 and, and the coronavirus is going to be a topic of conversation far too often. It already is, but I I'm wondering how it's going to impact the season and, and, you know, what are things, how is it, how are we going to weigh certain things based on changes that we're seeing because of this new reality we're, deal, we're dealing with? And and the most important to me, or maybe not most important, but the, the ones I'm paying the most attention to when I'm looking at, you know, CFB winning edge and our projected point spreads and, and things like that. Should we be weighing talent differently? Should we be weighing coaching or culture differently? And, and, How can you possibly quantify that? That's always a question. But, you know, in in this particular year, in this particular environment, uh, is returning production going to be more important? Is a, you know, a coaching staff that doesn't have a new coordinator, new head coach, is that more important now than it is? I, I think we assume it is, but you know, we'll, we'll have to see it play out. And so right now I'm, I'm sort of operating as if 2020 was just a, a normal year. And I know it's not, but I don't know what changes to make. So I'm just sort of curious. I, I don't think there's a right answer because I, I don't think we know. But my, right. my gut tells me, you know, maybe talent is going to be the most important factor, uh, maybe to a, a, a slightly higher level than it already is. Uh, and culture certainly matters. Things like that matter. But I think a lot of the stuff that is unknown, you know, who, who's the guy that's been doing 500 push-ups and 500 sit-ups every day and running two miles and
2: and all of happen. that,
0: you know, when nobody's watching and, and you know, who who's going to be uh, the guy that that does that or, or how many, what team has a dozen of those guys and, mm. and you know, more than a team that, uh, says, oh, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a former five-star, I'm a preseason All-American, I don't have to do anything, and, and then all of a sudden shows up 30 pounds overweight or, or whatever. So there's that so many right? unknowns. That, yeah. <laughs> uh, former five-star, Scott?
2: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but, that was it.
0: That was the one.
1: And the uh, 30 pounds overweight, <laughs> which is light for me. But, you know,
0: but, you know I mean, I, I don't think there's an answer. I, I certainly, you know, welcome any any input, any insight, but... that's something that's always going to be going through my mind is I'm putting a number out there and it's going to be wrong because it's always going to be wrong. But why is it wrong?
1: Right. Well, it's hard to measure culture obviously. And, you know, just locker room, uh, you know, the, the climate of the locker room, how everyone gets along, how uh, you know, players are regarded. Remember I, like the big thing I remember is who was the, um, Connor Cook, well, I think it was Connor Cook at Michigan, Michigan State, State. Mm-hmm. who was a like a three year starter at Michigan State, and his teammates didn't yep. vote him a mm-hmm. captain, mm-hmm. and that was just a very strange thing to see because the cap, the quarterback, almost is an automatic captain. You know, it's a quarterback, it's a defensive player, and it's a special teamer most of the time. So usually, it's you know, uh, the most veteran defensive player, the quarterback. And the kicker, you know, that that's usually what sometimes it's a long snapper in the NFL guy that's been there a long time or whatever. But most of the time, that's how those three captains work. And Connor Cook, I just remember that his teammates did not like him. So you can see that. But other than that, you know, even beat writers who spend time in locker rooms, which we have no idea if they'll spend any time in locker rooms this year. Most likely not. Uh, All press conferences will probably be done on Zoom or Skype or something. Uh, so it's going to be even harder to read this year. So I think you're absolutely right about just talent edge being, you know, we'll see at the end of this year, what you could have, you know, because you can play with the numbers after the fact to see, okay, this, you know, we should have gotten 90% talent and only 10% coach or however it works. I'm not, I don't even know the formula obviously, but you know, it, it will be. It'll be interesting to see, like you said, um, if it is just talent that works out this year because of the lack of practice. Javier, so what are your thoughts on that? This is a great question. Well, what are your thoughts on? it? Real quick, just to just oh, to yeah, interject. Please.
0: Until two weeks ago, I probably would have, if I were to, you know, weigh things like coaching staff continuity and and culture, quote unquote, Iowa probably would have got pretty high marks. And now, yeah. so
1: one hundred percent, yeah. yeah parents have been there forever, and. Highest paid strength and condition coach has been there 21 years. I mean, absolutely. So you never, you just never know what's going on just below the surface, right, Xavier?
4: Yeah, I think something that you'll definitely be looking to maybe upgrade this year is, uh, I was looking at today, it's one of my tabs, climate, fan interaction, and things of
3: that nature when it comes to teams this year. Um, I think when a team like Clemson goes on the road to a team like Boston College on a Thursday night, it won't have the same effect as it normally does when you have a student section and everybody there making noise. The players also, I don't think will have to get up for those games as much when it comes to home field advantage. So I think home field advantage is a stat that definitely is going to need to take maybe a boost after this year. Um, If we see a team like Clemson or like Alabama, just kind of steamroll through. And some of that may have to deal with the fact that, you know, you're not having to play LSU in death Valley with the fan base, with you know, with maybe the band, you know, with the atmosphere and, players are able to focus better. You don't make the same mistakes. You don't have to be on a hard count because you can hear yourself. You know, these mm-hmm. kind of situations go into it and, and, and it makes it seem, you know, a little bit easier for maybe some of those younger players who may have better seasons because of that fact over, you know, playing, you know, Auburn and Alabama in the Iron Bowl won't have that same kind of nerves that it typically does because you're not playing in front of everybody who you grew up with um, and that kind of thing. So I think maybe those numbers Increase. I think talent also will have something to do with that because I think talent, we, we sometimes, you know, don't weigh talent as much when you're playing a bad team away. When you have to go to their house and play against their fan base, we kind of almost excuse it a little bit for nerves and jitters when they start slowly or something like that. And this year we won't have
1: that. Now, I have a question for Nick. Does, does like, the inner nerd in you want to see no fans to make that <laughs> almost a, like, this could be a baseline year? I mean, obviously, um, we, no one wants to see no fans, but will it at least, does it intrigue you from a looking at that aspect as far as what does home field advantage do?
0: I'm sure there are some people that will be very interested to see and, and use that sort of as a test case, but me, no. I It's I,
1: unrealistic, right? I, this is going to happen again. Well, r- we,
0: well we, we certainly hope. Uh, but I, I basically, you know, spent the last however many months uh, looking forward to this, and, and thought I had a few things figured out. Excited to see how it plays out. And now they changed the situation on yeah. me potentially. So I want things about as normal as possible to, to know whether or not the changes, the updates, the, what I think are improvements that I've made actually are improvements because, you know, maybe everything's thrown off and I don't know, did I screw up something just, uh, in general or was it just 2020 that did it? So Mm -hmm. no, I want, I personally want things as, uh, normal as possible if we can get it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, Xavier, I think you're up for question number three here.
3: Yes, sir. Um, what, to guys, what non-quarterback has the best chance to win the Heisman? For me, I think it's Travis Etienne or uh, Chuba Hubbard, who we talked about earlier. I think both of these guys could definitely be labeled as guys who, you know, maybe may Chuba, uh, Travis Etienne less than Chuba Hubbard, but carry their teams to the records that they will have. But there will be huge reasons as to why their team's success happens or not. Especially now at Clemson with Justin Ross being out for the year, Travis Etienne just became that much more important to Clemson's success this year. And if he can go for a J.K. Dobbins, like uh, like year this year and really help Clemson, you know, wave the, 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 he takes the role of Justin Ross almost and and propels his game because he's gone now. He's a guy who I think can be put in there. Same thing for Chuba Hubbard. If Oklahoma state ends up 10, 11 wins possibly at the end of the year, this is a guy who I think can do it based off of his ability to run and catch the ball. At the backfield.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I like Chuba a lot. I think he's a great player and he obviously he's on that list, but I don't think he's even close to Travis at the end in this, in this, Debate here. I think it's Travis Etienne. You know, it's like the, the money ball thing. Travis Etienne, 50 feet of you know what, and everybody else, as far as non QBs go. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of how it works this year. I mean, last year, you know, there were thoughts about Chase Young possibly mm-hmm. um and, and that kind of stuff on the defensive side. I don't think we have that guy this year. There's tons of great defensive players in college football, of course, but I don't think we have that outstanding. Uh, you know, talent going into the season, someone could put up numbers similar to to, to Young or have a, a great impact. But um, I I don't think I don't think a defensive player is going to win it. I don't think a non-quarterback is going to win it. But if I had to put put my hard-earned cash down on one it would definitely be Travis Etienne I don't think there's a wide receiver that can do it because you know you look at the good really really good wide receivers uh you have one Xavier I
3: do think and this would be he'd have to have an explosion of a season because he had one last year I think if Jamar Chase goes ridiculous again with a quarterback change and LSU can put up a similar record to what they did last year with all of the talent that they lost around him. And he can have 2,200 yards and 20 touchdowns or something ridiculous like that. Again, I think he has to, you have to at least think about it. Maybe he's in a Randy Moss type situation.
1: Yeah. He, so for him to win it, I think he would have to have those similar numbers that he had last year, Mm -hmm. maybe even a little better, which without Joe Burrow seems impossible. And the guys around him, aren't having that big year because if the guys around him are having big years again, then miles Brennan would win it. You know what I right, mean? Right, so it'd have right, to right. be, he's the main guy by like 30 catches. He has way more touchdowns than anybody else on the team. And he's leading the country in those stats. That's the way he can win. That's why I would say it's unrealistic mm-hmm. for him to win it. So I think the only realistic non QB option this year to me is Travis at the end, just because I don't think Oklahoma state can win 11 games. I mean, right. maybe they will, but uh, it's not looking good right now. So, Nick, uh, your take on that question. That's a good one.
0: I, I'm I'm with you, too, that I think Etienne probably has the best chance, but actually the first name that popped into my head when I saw this question was Najee Harris. And, mm. and it's just because Alabama's had a running back win the Heisman in, in relatively recent history. Najee Harris came back for a senior year. I, I don't know that they will ride him, but with, you know, change over at quarterback, young guys there and and all, you know, it's, it's possible maybe that he could put together the statistical type year. And if Alabama's in the mix to, you know, make it to the playoff, I think he certainly could be on some lists, especially if there is not uh, a transcendent quarterback or or something like that. I'm intrigued by some of the receivers, some of my favorite players like a Rondale Moore or a Wondale Robinson that do multiple things. I don't think those teams are going to be good enough and they would have to put up, just incredible, incredible years. Xavier, uh, I think your point about Jamar Chase is, is really, really interesting, really good. Uh, I think if everybody in the LSU receiving corps put up the exact same numbers and you just took out Justin Jefferson and, you know, <laughs> Brendan's fast numbers come mm-hmm. down and all, everybody stays the same, maybe, like, you look at Chase, you're like, oh, wow, okay. You know, maybe a year mm-hmm. like that could do it. That That's mm-hmm. that's a really interesting thought. I, I don't necessarily think it's got to, A super high chance. I think quarterback, of course, is an overwhelming favorite. Uh, But that—that's really interesting.
1: Uh, Now, let me ask you how you want to do the rest of this here, Nick, because I do have to leave in ten minutes. You (laughs) want to go go lightning round? You want to go lightning round? I was going to say we can do it two shows, but (laughs) we'd rather go lightning round. We we got—we got a schedule. Let's go. Okay. All right. So (laughs) lightning round. Uh, You know, my question, my next question was, who's the front runner for Heisman? We just talked about the Heisman. I think everyone thinks that. That the front runner is Trevor Lawrence going into the season. Uh, Some dark horses. Let's each pick one. Uh, My dark horse would be Adrian Martinez from uh, Nebraska. Uh, I think that, um, you know, just if they improve and he can, Scott Frost can turn this into what he had at UCF, Martinez Mm -hmm. would be the big beneficiary. So, uh, Nick, your dark horse for Heisman.
0: One name I didn't say, I probably would have said Najee Harris, but let's say Keaton Slovis, USC. If he puts uh, up a now huge I was
1: debating year. between Slovis and and Adrian, so
0: if USC uh-huh. wins the Pac twelve is sort of in that conversation, he's gonna yeah. be I gotta bear. go
3: yeah, I gotta go Sam Howell at UNC. This That's is a guy right. who I think That's UNC the right. runs the table and they could be the only other competition in the ACC. he's got a really good shot.
1: All right, Nick, uh, your next question is what hidden advantages could we find in the schedules this year?
3: Yeah, this
0: one just sort of popped in my mind. I I saw something, I I think, on Twitter, and I don't even remember who uh, I mentioned it. So I apologize for stealing this, but uh, it it was really interesting. Somebody brought up a point of could an early bye week be valuable this year where you get through a few weeks, a few games, everything is weird. And then you get an early buy to sort of sit, catch your breath, reevaluate, maybe rework a couple of things to deal with this new reality. Interesting thought experiment. I thought.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. Uh, Xavier. Uh, yours was, I almost read your last one. Uh, who are the favorites to supplant the old guard in their respective conferences? And you have the old guard. I'm throwing up air quotes here. Alabama, Clemson, uh, Ohio State, Oregon, and Oklahoma. Uh, I think this is actually kind of an easy question to answer. Uh, I think it's LSU. uh, Well, the ACC is a little tough. Mm -hmm. Would you say North Carolina?
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, so North Carolina, Michigan, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: USC, and Texas, right? Right, absolutely. Okay, well, that was uh, – if you have anything else to add, I didn't mean to just – that no. around that quick, your question, but no,
3: uh, the only other team I would have thrown in there is Georgia uh, just yes. simply because of their defense, but I, you hit it right on the head. I think those are the teams that could take away the guys who have been up at the top of their confidence for the last five to seven years.
1: We'll skip mine my, my four question, because we kind of already talked about that with Nick's COVID question, but uh, question number five uh, and uh, Nick, you answer this one for me. Who are the big incoming freshmen that can make an impact this season?
0: Uh, I think the running back positions where we're going to see it mm-hmm. most, and the ones that come to mind, we've got three true freshmen uh, that are penciled in as starters at Power Five uh, conference teams, and, and that's Marshawn Lloyd at South Carolina, uh, Zach Evans at TCU, and Demontre Trianum at Arizona State. So, uh, not sure if, if those guys, you know, really will emerge. What about the at, number, one, number r- one running
1: back recruit in the nation, Nick
0: uh Bijan robinson i guess you're, oh, you're mentioning in Texas. Robinson i Texas think the i i'm not sure he's the clear favorite in my personal opinion maybe in fall camp uh, i will be proven wrong on that but uh, there certainly are some true freshman running backs that i think are going to have big years
1: those he looks four like Lev
0: Bell uh, pretty, on his, pretty high
1: on his high school highlights Bijan does uh any incoming freshman that you're looking for a big impact with uh xavier
3: I couldn't get his name out of my head. He's not an incoming freshman though, so I felt bad. But John Emory at LSU, I could not get his name out of my head. Yeah. This is the guy who has not played a lot. He sat behind Edward Zale last year, but everybody thought thinks he got be the best running back in the SEC going into next year, next to Najee Harris. So,
1: I mean, I just traded him, so uh, you know, I hope it works out for both of us. But I'd be pretty embarrassed if uh, if I traded John Emery and, uh, you know, he, he was amazing. But I, I drafted him last year, so he's pretty good. Uh, your next question here, Nick, is what quarterback or quarterbacks is worth uh, the most to a team's projection, or which team would see the biggest drop due to an injury? I love this question.
0: So this is something that I'm going to write about later this week. I plan on posting it to our patrons on Friday. Give the whole 130 what are the point values basically for uh each quarterback, if they were to go down. And, and interestingly enough, and again, I'm not saying this is perfect, but Brady White at Memphis actually came out uh, atop that list. He's worth more than four points, which is probably a little lower than what most sports books would put on, you know, the, the number one quarterback if, if he were to uh, be injured and, and out. So, you know, that's something for me maybe to to evaluate. But he's tops on that list. Jaden Daniels, Brock Purdy, Chris Robeson, uh, are all worth more than four points, uh, and then two that were really interesting to me that were in the top ten, but maybe a little lower than we might expect. Trevor Lawrence was number eight, and then Sam Allinger was number nine on that list.
1: Uh, Xavier, your next question here is: uh, which second-year quarterback takes the biggest leap in 2020? Uh, I, I'm interested to hear your answer to that one.
3: Yeah, so I, I think it, I think obviously we talked about Sam Howell. I think we've talked about him enough. Jaden Daniels is a guy who I think takes that big leap, but you guys have hit it on the head. I think Keaton Slovis can make the biggest leap of any second year quarterback in college football this year because he has the talent around him to do it. Um, if they protect him this year, we've seen what he's able to do when he has time in the pocket. And I think USC has the talent to win the PAC 12 this year. And he's going to be a big reason as to why they do that. I think he won the job fair and square. I think that's why you tell JT Daniels leave. He's got the talent to do it. I think he has a really good opportunity.
1: Um, uh, my next question is which first year head coach improves his team the most. I think the question we hope for, but there's already been some shakiness is Mike Norvell bringing mm-hmm. bring Florida state back into the national picture. Uh, anybody else on your mind there, Nick?
0: Yeah, he, he was first on my list and first in the draft that we did a couple of names that I think could have an impact. I'm just really interested to see because it's changing things up quite a bit. Greg Schiano at Rutgers, uh, Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Jeff Halfley. I'm, I'm really interested in Boston College. And then Marcus Arroyo at, at UNLV, maybe, uh, you know, that's a program that could be a sleeping giant at the G5 level, and he's recruiting like it right now.
1: Uh, Ricky Rain at Old Dominion, too. I mean, what? how many games are they projected to win? Probably Ooh. not many at all. So uh, just uh, if, if he could get them up to four or five, it <laughs> would be fairly impressive, yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I mean, that's, you know, they go from uh one or zip, I can't even remember what they had last year, to four or five would just be nice. And last Anthony, year they
0: were one at eleven. They're projected to win five, four and a half games, okay. but they're only but they're only favored in two. So a lot
1: okay. of toss ups. Yeah, so a lot lots of toss ups, like you said. So if they can just get the balance in those games. Um Nick, your next question is what teams are most overrated in uh CFB winning edge team strength? So uh, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to hear this one because this answer could upset some people.
0: <laughs> well, so uh, there, there are certainly teams that, that, you know, keep me up at night. <laughs> like, uh, last year it was Virginia and Stanford. I was too low on Virginia, too high on Stanford. And that proved true. So the teams that I'm worried about this year, Florida States in our top 25. They're they're favored uh, over 23 other teams on a on a neutral field. That makes me You're very really nervous. rooting
1: for Mike Norvell.
0: I yeah. would like I would <laughs> yeah. like for them to take a step forward. So I'm nervous about that. Iowa is in our top 20 or excuse me 21. They're they're 21st. So I'm a little nervous about the off the field now, but also. Iowa, from a pure talent standpoint, just, you know, isn't really a, a top 25 type team. So they get a lot of leeway for Kirk Ferentz's uh, coaching staff, coaching ratings, uh, factor into that a lot. And so I'm, I'm nervous about that, especially if the culture maybe uh, has certainly seen a shakeup, if not. Uh, Maybe he isn't quite as good as as we thought it was. And then Utah, somewhat similarly, we talked about their defensive coordinator uh, and the trouble that he got himself in uh, in recent weeks. Uh, If if he is fired, which I think there's certainly a chance of that, he's a top 10 coordinator, has a 90 plus rating. I, I calculated it. He's worth about a point and a half to Utah's power rating. So if he's gone, Utah would would fall. They would fall out of the the top twenty. But right now they're number eighteen. We're higher on Utah probably than anybody else. That makes me incredibly incredibly nervous because we think that Utah is uh, going to challenge USC in the in the Pac twelve South. And and that, based on how much they lost, doesn't seem quite right. So I'm
1: I'm nervous about that. Let's just go to your last question since it it uh, sure. you know cycles in easily. What teams are the most underrated? in CFB winning edge's train, uh, team strength ratings.
0: Sure. And then, you know, who's this year's Virginia? Uh, could it be Cal? They have a talent edge, I think, in like four games or something. So a lot of uphill battles. Perhaps they're 51st in our overall ratings. Uh, Illinois, if, if if they have a talent edge in 10 games, you know, is the 12th best uh, Big Ten team is, is a 68th overall rating. Is that too low? Perhaps, you know, maybe we got it right and, and – Maybe the talent edge just got it wrong, so we'll see. Uh, Kentucky has overperformed a lot in the past years. They are 30th, which is pretty good, but that's 10th in the SEC. Remember, these are right. power ratings, so not a projected order of finish. We only expect Kentucky to maybe barely make bowl eligibility at, at number 30, so is that too low? Uh, Maryland, 93rd, and, and basically all of that is Mike Loxley's head coach rating.
1: Wow, is just man. among
0: the worst. Wow. in in college football. And and that's unfortunate. Maryland has made some progress, especially in recruiting. So is 93rd overall
1: 13,
0: right? Rakeem Jerry, absolutely going to have an impact. You know, are they the 13th best team, the second worst team in the, in the big 10 ahead of only Rutgers? Uh, You know, maybe Uh, our numbers think that, so uh, that, that might be a little too low. Hopefully they'll uh, improve and, and challenge for ball eligibility. And the last one, Minnesota, a lot of people's, uh, sort of uh, darling, maybe in in the West, uh, in the Big Ten, we have them 34th overall, which seems a little low. A lot of people have them in their top 20, certainly top 25. So we were high on Minnesota last year, and it and it worked out. Uh, but I'm a little bit nervous. Maybe we're we're too low on them this year. Just
1: I, I like I like this question here, Xavier. Which old program returns to their glory days this season? And you have uh, some teams that we've already talked about listed here: Nebraska, USC, Miami, FSU. I think out of all the stuff that we've heard today, it has to be the hurricanes, right? Hope so.
3: If they can block for De'Arc King, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great uh, shout out to their O-line right there. So I'm uh, I I'm right with you there. I think, you know, bringing in De'eric King uh, can just completely turn that offense around. So uh that that's a big one. Yeah, uh, you got got any others?
3: Um, I think we've talked about Nebraska. I think that that's a team with Adrian Martinez. We talked about Derek King being such a big factor for him. If Adrian Martinez can stay upright, he has the talent to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And God willing, Nebraska, can you just beat go to a bowl game? Seven wins. That's all we're asking for. Mm-hmm. I ask a lot. Seven or eight gets you back to decent Saturday night football with Nebraska on TV.
1: And all I'm asking out of Texas is to get to the national championship. Game. That's a lot. So just yes, say that's a lot. Yes. Then you can take your back. Until Please. then, yes. shut up. Uh, so yeah. uh, my, my last question here is, will any team that hasn't yet made the playoff make it this year? Or what team that hasn't made the playoff yet, uh, which team has the best chance? Um, but I think these, you know, some of these schools that we've talked about already uh, are, are probably in there. You know, if if USC Miami and Florida State, Florida State has made. Yep. didn't they they made it the that first. That was with Jameis Winston yeah, yeah, that was with Jameis. Right, right. So <laughs> and Oregon,
0: uh, who was the first that came to my mind, but they played that.
1: Yeah, James and they played. played right exactly. So I think Miami, uh, Texas hasn't been in the tournament yet. Mm. Uh, that they, they've got a chance. Uh, you know, uh, I- anyone else pop off at the the uh, top of your mind there, Nick? Uh,
0: you know, I, I think that. The Big Ten could get two teams potentially, and and if so, uh, Wisconsin is gotta. They actually surprisingly had some talent edges that I didn't expect, uh, and Penn State could make a run. You know, we, we've seen uh, the SEC get a couple of teams in based on just some sort of wacky scenarios where one team doesn't win their division, and maybe that's Penn State this year, or maybe Penn State beats Ohio State. Ohio State blows everybody else out, and they get in. So uh, I, I think that, you know, one of those teams, Penn State or Wisconsin, might have a, shan- a chance, but I think Texas uh, probably would have been the first that came to mind, but oh, Big Ten.
3: I, I wouldn't be shocked. This if is Texas it. of a podcast. Uh, well, I have too- no
1: idea why I put this question in here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean, come on. Uh, I mean, Texas is the obvious answer yeah. here, but I, I do think Miami – uh, is definitely in there if the Air King can, uh, you know, bring them back up to their their glory days, like you mentioned before. Almost the same question between mm-hmm. uh, who can go to their glory days and who's going to make the tournament that hasn't yet. Um, will and I, your last question, the last question of the day that we have here, Xavier, is: Will there be a two-loss team in the playoffs this year? Uh, I mean, I don't think so. Do you think so?
3: I think it would have to come. The team has to come from either the SEC or the big 10. Uh, I, I think in any other regard, this it's going to be really, really tough. Uh, a team like Texas A&M, I thought maybe could do it last year because of how tough their schedule was, but this year is going to be really tough. But I think that with the whole COVID-19 situation, Nick might be right. There might be just crazy football going on this year and teams who are normal superpowers may lose two games. And if you have multiple teams, you know, Five through nine with two teams with two losses. What's the possibility that one of them sneak in and get over a team uh, that's in the top four? So I think it's a possibility. I really do.
1: Nick, two losses. I,
0: I think if it's going to happen this year's as good a bet as any. Uh, you know, who knows if if in week six and week seven, you know, theoretically, and and God forbid this this hopefully won't happen, but say Ohio State has to sit out, you know, twelve guys because they have to go quarantine and they lose two games that they wouldn't normally. And, you know, you look at the end of the season, everybody's healthy, everything's back magically, and, and uh, Ohio State's been beating everybody by 50 the last five weeks. Uh, should they get in? Maybe. And, and maybe that's, you know, just some, some something crazy that could happen in 2020 that we wouldn't normally see. Uh, so I, I think it certainly could, you know, a team like that, especially uh, maybe – that would help me get Wisconsin or, or Penn State in something like you know that that particular scenario. But uh, I think it certainly could happen. Uh, Stranger things have and and will, and it's you know who knows what we're going to see in the next four or five months.
1: You're absolutely right about that. Well, that is going to wrap it up. I'm in. Uh, I'm eating into another podcast already, so we do have to okay. go. But rem- remember, sorry, John. Can- <laughs> yeah, sorry, Johnny. Uh, you, you can follow us on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier, Trish, uh, Xavier underscore Trish for Xavier, T-R-I-C-H-E on his last name there. And, uh, you know, obviously, please check out CFB Winning Edge Patreon, patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Not hard to find. Uh, a bunch of stuff coming in. Like I said, the best depth charts in the land at CFP Winning Edge. So please check all of that stuff out, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.